0: It wasn't uh, that long ago that I, was at a, um, that I was at a leadership conference, and I remember hearing the phrase and the conversation being around, think like a rookie. Think like a rookie. And it was talking to leaders, uh, saying that as you get older, and if you've been in leadership for a while, or you've uh, had some measure of success, that it's easy to start getting kind of stuck in your ways. It's easy to start holding on to success. It's easy to start saying, you know, let's just do the things I've done before, or just to take it easy, uh, to not take many risks anymore. And what starts happening is you can start losing your edge. You start, uh, you stop innovating. You stop being somebody who's who's thinking fresh. And and what often happens is when you're younger, somebody comes into an organization or somebody comes into a team, they realize they got to work hard. They got to think like a rookie. Like I got to earn my spot. I got to show myself. I got to see what I can do. And there's a lot of effort that's put forth. And so it's just this reminder that, that we don't want to get complacent. We don't want to get stuck. And I think about that in, in our lives. Have you experienced that in your own life? That it's, it's easy to stop thinking like a rookie? Like, we don't want to be rookies, right? We kind of get out of that mindset. We say, I don't want to be a rookie. I want to be a veteran. I want to be somebody who knows what they're doing, and, and I want to be settled down. And, and think about that maybe back to if you've been in a relationship for a while, or maybe you're just starting out in a relationship, and how you think like a rookie when you first admire somebody else. Right? All of a sudden, your mind is going, how do I win them over? How can I do some creative things? You start dating, and you have, oh, a great date idea, and you go out, and you do these things, and and then you're married for a while, and your idea of a date is going to Costco. That doesn't happen to us ever. Um, Free samples. I mean, you know, it saves, it's a cheap date. Right, we we stop thinking like a rookie, you know, we're settled, we're good. And we have this idea in life, we want to get settled down. That's a hope that that, that people have is we want to be settled. That's a good thing. You don't always want to be on the move. You don't always want to be searching. You want to be settled. Maybe in your career when you were younger, right, or just thinking about, you know, going to college or maybe, you know, learning a skill or a trade, and you're like, I got to learn this. I have this uh, dream for my life. I want to do this with my life. And so you pursue it. You go after it. And then when you're in the career, you're in that job. After a while, again, you start getting settled, you get comfortable, you get good at what you do, but over time, you kind of forget to have that that hustle, you forget to have that grit or maybe that that passion that pulls you through. And so we see this in different areas of our lives, or maybe it's in in technology, we don't want to think like a rookie anymore, right? How many of us just want to like know how our phone works or how the TV works or how the car works and then just, that's good, and then technology changes, Right? It changes, and now you can't even get into the car without figuring out how to navigate new technology in a screen. But we, we see that there's this, this great thing about settling, and then we see that there can be a danger in settling. And we can talk about that, too, today as it relates to our faith. Think about it in your own journey, in your own walk, in your own faith. Like, if you were curious, you you're searching, you are in a mode of seeking, what, what is meaning? What is out there? Where is God? Who is he? And maybe as you came to faith, there was a hunger and a curiosity and it kept you fresh, and maybe you got to a point where, I want to read the Bible, and you started really digging into God's Word, and your eyes were opened, and you're hearing new things. You're taking notes, and in, in the services church feels new to you, and there's this desire to grow and to learn, but there's also a desire to become settled. I want to be settled in my faith. I don't always want to be searching and trying to figure stuff out. I want to just know what I know, and I want to believe that. I want to have my routine. I want to come to church. I want to know what's, how it works, and that's a good thing. But then what happens slowly is we become settled. And as we become settled, maybe we get complacent. We find a place where it's like, well, you know, I'm not that hungry anymore. And faith is just kind of a part of, you know, my life in a good way. But at the same time, I'm not really putting any effort back into it. And then you see somebody who's young in their faith, right? You see somebody who's a rookie, and they're going after it. And and it's reminding you that maybe I'm missing out on something. What have I lost along the way? And we're going to talk about that today as we uh, enter phase uh, part five of the series called Settled. And as we look back at at the story, we've been looking at these different phases in each week. And if you remember, I'm just going to give you a quick overview as we're in the story of the Exodus. It's not just the book, the Exodus, in the Old Testament, but really the whole story of the Old Testament is the story of Exodus time and time again. It's a story that we experience today, and it's really the idea of moving from captivity to freedom. Moving from slavery, as the, as the um, Israelites found themselves, the Hebrew people, for 400 years, right, they were captive. And they were looking for the promised land that God was going to give them freedom, that God was going to give them rest. He was going to provide a place for them to settle down and to live. And so they started in captivity, and, and the cry went out to God, God, we need rescue, And God heard their cry and he brought the rescue. He was orchestrating something that they couldn't see, that they didn't know was happening, but he was preparing Moses and he brought him and he brought rescue in a miraculous way. Remember the the Chinese finger traps we gave out a few weeks ago, right? There is no true freedom unless we have total surrender. And they had to learn that that a complete surrender to God freed them and it's also what Pharaoh used to free, uh, what God used to release um, the Israelites from the grip of Pharaoh's hand. And then as they were were finally now rescued, the next phase was free. They were free to live. They were finally now going to the promised land. The, the, The future was on the horizon. The promised land was there. They were getting ready to go, and then God took them on a different route that ended up getting them trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh. And so in that moment of desperation, they once again had to learn to trust God in an amazing way. He parted the Red Sea. He allowed them to walk on dry ground. Remember, God taking care of those details and saying, I will lead you through. And he led them through, and the sea closed up. Pharaoh and his army was no more, and they were now free to live. And in that context of freedom, they made their way to Mount Sinai. And at the foot of Mount Sinai, it was, it was Moses who goes up to the mountain, and he comes down, and he, ha- he receives the Ten Commandments. And we talked about with freedom, it's not just that there's no rules, that there's no boundaries, but that God gave these, these 10 commandments, not as a condition of God's love, do this and I will love you, but it was something that he said, look, I'm giving this to you so you will learn what it means to live free. And he provided them this foundation to have a relationship with him, to put God first and to live with others. And he said, this will be the foundation for my people and I'm giving you these laws, And these rules as a guide for you. And so they make their way now in freedom, and they come to the edge of the promised land where we were last week. And right here's this moment after 400 years, 430 years, they're at the edge of the promised land. And Kyle got to preach last week on what I think is one of the the saddest stories in the Old Testament, in the Bible. They're there at the edge of the promised land, and they come back with a report that it is a good land flowing with milk and honey, 12 spies all saying it's a great land. But 10 of them saying, we can't take them. We can't do it. We're small. We're weak. There's giants in that land. There's no way. We're just slaves. We've been wandering. We cannot take this land. We want to go back to Egypt. And they spend the next 40 years wandering. God says, okay, you you don't want to enter the promised land? Then you will wander the desert for 40 years until every person in the generation, 20 years and older, has passed away. And then you will get an opportunity. And that's where we pick up today. This idea of now what do we do? How do we enter the promised land? As I think about the story, and really as I continue to read in the Old Testament, it's a crazy narrative, isn't it? You think about the story, and as we've talked about it in our life group too, it's like up and down, and up and down, and they're close to God, and they're far from God, and they're doing the right things, and then they're not doing the right things, and then they're free, and then they're not, and then they're trapped, and then they're, fr- it's just up and down, and, and I thought, how do I capture this visually, and then I saw this video that I think captures the story of the Old Testament. So take a quick look and see if maybe we can relate. That's the Israelites captive in Egypt, by the way. They're crying out to God, rescue us, free us. We're stuck in slavery. Moses comes, the plagues, we're free, we're free. Yay! And we're stuck again. That's, that's the Old Testament. <laughs> Doesn't that feel like that? I want you to keep that in your mind. I want you to keep this image in your mind because it's not just them, it's us, isn't it? So much of the story is our story and we have these moments where we seem like we're doing great and then things go, go south. Well, we're picking up the story, like we said, now they're, they're at the foot of the promised land again. The previous generation has, has passed away. And it's time now to say what happens next. God leads Moses up into a mountain where he can oversee the promised land that's on the other side of the Jordan River. But here's the thing. He says to Moses, you're not going to be able to enter the promised land. You can see it. It's here. You've been my faithful servant. You've led my people to this place. And he honors him, but he says you're not going to be able to enter the promised land. And sometimes some of our roles is to help the next generation enter the promised land, to experience things that we haven't to experience the future, and Moses did that. And so Moses dies, and then we turn the pages to the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua begins, and Joshua is named after Moses' faithful assistant, one of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who entered the promised land and said that we can take it years ago. They were only the two of the previous generation that were going to be able to enter the promised land. And we turn the pages of the book of Joshua, and, and, and God approaches Joshua with these wonderful words, Moses My servant is dead. You're the guy now. You will lead my people into the promised land. And so here they are on the edge of the promised land again. Now, for the second time, they're on the other side of the Jordan River. What are they going to do? How are they going to handle this opportunity after all that they have experienced? Here's a new generation, and you know what this generation says? They are ready. We are doing it. We are not making the same mistake twice. And I think about this too, God's promise is there for us, whether we accept it or whether we miss it and the next generation takes hold of it, that the promise of God is true and the next generation embraced it. And I think about this morning that we have, you know, 40 of our students and adult leaders who are at the Ohio State Youth Convention and we've been youth pastors in in our life and just working with students is so exciting because the next generation thinks like a rookie. Right? They're hungry. They think about the possibilities. They think it's we can do anything. The church can do it. People, you know, we can make a difference. But some of us who've been around for a while, we know better, right? You can't change the world. Come on. Those are pie-in-the-sky dreams, hopes. Just settle down. Get your job, do what you're supposed to do, fall in line, and all will be good. This generation said, No, no, we're we're seizing this moment. We're taking this opportunity, and Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land. So they're on the other side of the Jordan River. And on the other side of the Jordan River, they can see a city, which is Jericho. Jericho had fortified walls, it had like double walls, it was an impenetrable city. And back in the day, right, before tanks and, you know, air, you know, air force and attacks from the sky, right, I mean, a walled city was a huge protection. And it was a reminder that, that, that the promised land is occupied. There's things that are, that are there that are going to be challenging. But they were on the other side of the Jordan saying, we will do this. And in confidence and with God's leadership, we're going to cross the Jordan. And so the priests took the Ark of the Covenant, and they were the first to cross and put their feet into the Jordan, and the waters... Of the Jordan parted like they had for the other generation in the Red Sea. And just like it did for the Red Sea, we read that the Jordan uh, cleared and they walked across once again on dry ground. God was making a path. God was making a way. And they entered the promised land. After all these years, 430 some years of waiting, this was the day that they crossed into the promised land. And it was time to take possession of the land. What God had promised them, now it was time to settle it. You know, they've been on the move, they've been, they've been going for years, and now they would experience, what does it mean to settle the land? What does it mean to live in the promise of God? And so they cross into the Jordan, they give God thanks, and now, as I said, there's Jericho, the city that seems impossible. And we think about our own lives, right? We come to obstacles and, and challenges. We think like a rookie and we take new ground and we, we have a new endeavor, a new relationship, a new job. We're growing in our faith. And boom, there comes the first challenge. All right, how are they going to face this first challenge? Will they doubt? Will they trust God? Will they do like their ancestors? They trusted God. And God gave them this, this crazy plan to defeat this city. The way you're going to defeat this city, here's the military strategy. I wonder if it would work, work today still. Take your priests and lead the army and walk one time around the city each day for seven days and don't say a word. Okay, all right, maybe, interesting. And on the seventh day, march around seven times, and then when I give the signal and the shout comes, you will blow the trumpets and scream a great shout and the walls are going to come falling down. That takes some faith. But they trusted and in obedience and in faith, they did exactly as God had told them. And sure enough, the walls came down. And God gave them victory and gave them a chance to conquer this land and to begin to settle this land that he had promised them for generations. But it wasn't just this one city. Did you know that the, that the promised land was occupied by 31 different kings and nations? This wasn't just like a, an available space. This was a contentious place, and people had settled there in years since while they were in slavery in this land that Abraham had had been promised for years. And so they had to to find their way, and they had to figure out how to go and and to do that. And so they began to do that one battle after another, and and they learned to trust God, and they began to to take hold of this land that they had been waiting for for 430-some years. But God is fighting for them. Here's what we read in Joshua 24. Now, towards the end of Joshua, Joshua 24, 12-14. to Here's what God tells them. He says, It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you land you had not worked on, and I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. It's this constant reminder that who is providing this? Who is guiding them? Who is opening the doors? Who is faithful to his promise? And God is saying, it's him. And he's saying, just don't forget that. Remember that as you serve the Lord in this place, in this, in the, as, you, as you settle this land. But what's the point? What's the point of the promised land? Again, this is where we come, which is critical for us today. We look in Exodus 19. It tells us the purpose of the promised land. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. If you obey me, God says, and keep my covenant, You will be my own special treasure from among the nations of the earth. You will be to me a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So we think about them being a holy nation, a special people set aside by God. But I think we can easily forget this next part. And this is what's so critical is that they are to be a kingdom of priests. Now, if you followed the Old Testament story at all, you know that Aaron and the Levites are to be the priests. They're the ones that are to attend the temple. They were a tribe. So why is he saying the whole nation is to be a nation of priests? What's the role of a priest? The role of the priest is to to represent God before the people. It was to represent God to the people. It was to be someone and to be in that role. And he said you are to be in a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, not just the priests who are priests, but every one of you is to represent God before the nations so that other people would see what God is like. And then that was the role, that was the purpose, that was what what this was all to be about. And so I've put it this way, God is looking for a people who will show the world what he is like. This is the whole purpose, this this is the reason why God chose this nation to be a way that he would show them the world. When a people live in harmony with God, According to his principles, understanding what it means to be free, it will be a sign and a way to be a light to the nations around. And God is looking for a people who will show the world what he is like. The promised land, a shining example. And so here they have this chance at a new beginning, a chance to start fresh, to build this nation, to build this life on the foundation, the principles of God, and to really show this example. And I think we have that opportunity when we come to faith. It's a new chance at a new day. To live life different on a different foundation, understanding God and what He what He means in our life, and following God's word, that we live different than the people around us, than the nation, than uh, and those that don't know God, and so we walk on this new path and this new beginning, and it's a chance for us to settle in. And so they do that. And so today we're going to cover actually hundreds of years of history. So we're going to move the story along, and we're going to look at a, a big swath of just this idea of what happens when the Israelites, when the Hebrew people settle this land. And so after many years of conquering the different lands and, and the tribes each getting their own land and territory, they are now in the promised land. And they were led by, by prophets that were called judges and leaders who had a type of leadership, that. but it wasn't a king, it wasn't a kingdom, it wasn't a hierarchy. They were intermediaries before God. They were trusted as God's representatives, and, and they would make decisions based on that. But then came a time, and they looked around, and the Israelites looked around at the other nations around them, and they wanted a king. They saw the other nations. They saw what they had conquered. Maybe they're thinking back to Pharaoh, and they said, a nation is supposed to have a king, it's supposed to have a leader. We want a king too. And so part of their settling was to have a king. And so they asked Samuel. They said, Samuel, we want a king. Samuel was, one of the, was, was the last of the judges. And so we read in 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5, Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. I mean, if we're going to be a mature nation and we're going to be respectable around others, we've got to do what everyone does. We've got to have a king. Samuel thought this was a horrible idea. We didn't need a king for all these years. We follow God. He's our leader and, and, and we serve him in this way. And he says to God, don't let them have this and God says no 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 Samuel they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me they want a king like other nations they can't imagine what it's like and how do we have power and control and so God in his wisdom and in his graciousness and in the way that he just allows us free will that we see even in the story of the of the Israelites right he gave them what they wanted you don't want to enter the promised land okay i'm not going to force you and he gave them a king and he gave them king Saul the first king And then King David, who we read and know so much about in in the Old Testament. A a man after God's own heart, but who had all kinds of challenges as well. And then the third king, King Solomon. In all these years, the the empire and the kingdom is building. And under King Solomon, Solomon, who asked for wisdom, was also given incredible wealth and riches. Builds a beautiful palace, and he builds the temple. I mean, it's starting to look like a real nation now starting to look like a real, you know, viable force out there to have a nation, to have a king, to have a military, to have their own temple that's just, you know, a marvel for others to look at. And they become very impressive. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 10 that the queen of Sheba comes to visit. And the queen of Sheba now observes this nation that has settled down. And here's what she says. She exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. I mean, they've settled in. They're experiencing some of these great things that God has promised them. They're living in a way. I mean, this is living the dream. This is the nation. This was a model nation in many ways that others were coming to and looking and saying, Wow. They're beginning to show the world what it, it's like. They're representing God to the, to the world. They're experiencing peace. Former slaves, now landowners. I mean, they're living in an incredible way. They're, they're ruled by their king, not some pharaoh who doesn't know God or trust God. They've got their own king. They're respected by other nations. There's prosperity. There's growth. There's peace across the land. Pretty amazing. Amazing. They're contented, and they're finally at rest. The promised land was to be a place of rest, we read throughout the Old Testament, and they're experiencing that. In 1 Kings 4, we read this in a couple of the verses. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They were very contented with plenty to eat and drink. Solomon's dominion extended over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tipsa to Gaza. Hmm, That's been coming up lately, hasn't it? And there was peace on all his borders. During the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had his own home and garden. If only the story ended there. And they lived happily ever after the end. (laughs) That's our story of the Exodus. You only laugh and chuckle because, well, you've watched the news this week. (laughs) 3,500 years later, we're still facing battles and contentious situations. But even in the time just following that, they were settled. Things were good. They were in the place they needed to be. What happened? What went wrong? Why isn't it this place of peace? They were God's people. They were supposed to show the world what he was like. Well, we read on. We're going to actually rewind the clock a little bit. I want to read a larger passage to you. This goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it's before they enter the promised land. This was what God was beginning to warn them, what God was beginning to tell them, look, I, I know what's going to happen here. I'm just going to tell you right now that you will be ready for that. And I wonder if any of this would apply to us today as a people, as a nation, as Americans, as Christians more than anything else living in this great nation. Deuteronomy 8, 7 to 18. Longer passage here, listen, listen closely. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. He's saying, look, I'm going to lead you into this place. And he says, and when you have eaten your fill... Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. When you get there, don't forget God. Just give him praise. Give God thanks for the goodness of all these things. Then the next verse 11. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. That's the time to be careful, right? When everything is going really well, when you're settled, when you've taken thanks for everything that's there, that's the time to be careful. Verse 12, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built the fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large, when your cars have gotten bigger and more electrified, and you've got a third-car garage, and you've got extra storage bins, and you have everything you need to eat, and you've got all kinds of restaurants at your disposable, disposal, everything else, Right? In that time, do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. He's the one who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Where did it all come from? What do we do when we finally have come to this place of being settled and at peace and at ease and we can worship God freely and we have access and and wealth and riches and food? And good things, that is the time to be careful. But in this last verse here, he reminds them, why does he give you the power to be successful? He says, in order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. What is that covenant? The covenant he gave to Abraham was this. I'm going to give you a promised land, and I will bless you. Why? To be a blessing to others. It wasn't just, I will bless you, period. I will bless you to be a blessing to others. You're blessed to bless. We read in Deuteronomy 32. Now, that was the first part was in the beginning of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy 32 at the end, it says this. But Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. Sounds like your house after Thanksgiving dinner, huh? <laughs> Put that on like our our napkins at the dinner table for for Thanksgiving. Deuteronomy thirty two fifteen. Let's read that before our meal. Um, But in all seriousness, but Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. They had they then they abandoned the God who had made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. It's a metaphor. They got comfortable. They got to a place where God, God who. kind forgot about God, forgot about the story. I want to talk about two things here. I want us to be aware of two subtle shifts that lead to abandoning God, because that's what ultimately is happening here, forgetting God. And there's two subtle things that happen that I think we can relate to, and I think we need to watch out for today, and that we see in the story. And the two shifts are this, from contented to complacent, and from blessed to entitled. These are really subtle shifts. They don't seem like a big difference sometimes between the two, but they have vastly different outcomes. Let's look at the from contented to complacent. So contented, we could say it this way. If we're contented, little or much, God provides everything I need. That's a great place to be. Little or much, not just in much I'm contented. Little or much, God knows what I need. He provides. It comes from him, and it keeps us focused on God. It's a position of humility. It's a position of, of gratitude. It's something that speaks more to our inner state than what we have on the outside, than our possessions. We say, God, thank you for everything and its ability to hold things loosely. I'm contented. If I have it now, if I don't have it later, it's a good place to be. But it's a subtle shift to move from contented to complacent. Complacent says, I'm all set. I got it now, God. I'm good. Complacent. I've got this place. I have everything I need. I'm taken care of. And what happens is stagnation. We start lacking hunger. And while one is is drawing us towards God, right, contentment draws us towards God, complacency pushes God away. I don't need you anymore, God, I'm good. There's no more growth, there's no effort, there's no heart. And we maybe even get focused just on the material things, what I have around me. When we move from contented to complacent, it's a dangerous place where we can begin to abandon God. The second is this, right, moving from blessed to entitled. Blessed says... God has been so good to me, how can I help others? (laughs) You might say, man, I have more than I ever need, more than I ever deserve. God's mercy, God's grace, God's blessing around me. Again, a spirit of gratitude, remembering God is our source. It all comes from God. It's our God's blessing. Truly, I'm blessed. It's a wonderful place to be. When you live that way and acknowledge God and give God thanks, there's a richness, there's a depth that focuses us on God. But it can easily shift into entitlement. being entitled, I deserve everything I have and more. I deserve it. I earned it. It's owed to me. We might even look at that in in our faith. God God is supposed to give me everything. Look what I'm doing for God. He owes it to me. I deserve this. Or maybe we forget about God altogether. I worked for it. It's mine. I deserve it. Can't anybody take it away from me? And we have this, this shift, and it becomes about me. Complacency is about me. Entitlement is about me. Contentment is about God. Being blessed is about God and it's about others. And so this promise that God gave them, the the oath that he made this covenant was that you would be a blessing to be a, a blessing to others. So the question to us comes, am I blessed to serve myself or blessed to bless others? This is our question. I think it's a question we have to ask in this culture and in this society is to say everything we have, is it because going, God, you're just so good to me and you wanted me to become fat and unruly and stuffed and plumped and to say this is all mine and I'm so grateful, God, that, that you gave it to me. <laughs> and then i got to protect it and i got to have it for me and I want a little bit more and I want a little bit more and I'm going to stuff a little bit more here. And we don't see what's out there. We don't see the needs. We don't We forget, God, why? Israel lost its way. That is the time to be careful is what the Scripture said. Has Israel become the new Egypt? That's a scary thought, isn't it? After all we've been through, after everything we just read in the Bible, after all the story of the up and down and God being faithful, has Israel become the new Egypt? And even as we read some of the darkness of that story, they're building some of their palaces and temples with slave labor. They're starting to form alliances with other nations. They wanted their own king. They've got division and strife within. They've got battles from without. What is causing all of this trouble? What is causing all of this? We read about it in 1 Kings nine. 9. Why is this happening? Because his people abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they worshiped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why the Lord has brought all these disasters on them. So how is Israel doing showing the world what God is like? Seemed like they were doing pretty well for a while. But they lost their focus. They started looking at themselves. They started worshiping another God. They started forgetting about the Lord their God as things got good. And when that happened, things didn't go so well. I think if there's ever a part of the story that could speak to American Christians, this is it. Me included. Every one of us. We live in an affluent culture. We live in a place of great freedom to worship. We may feel like there's some more persecution of of Christians, but let me tell you, I think it's a far cry from persecution. Challenging? Yes. At times, not accepted. Having a harder time? Yes. But we're not in a place of persecution. We're here this morning. There's nobody coming in to arrest me this morning. Will that happen in the future? We don't know. Do you know what? Societies and Christianity and the church thrives in places where there's persecution, actually. Ironic, isn't it? Then the places where it should thrive the most, where there's the most freedom, the most affluence, the most ability to bless and to be a light, sometimes we miss it. Here's the thing, God is still looking for a people to show the world what he is like. He's still looking for a people. And that covenant that was made with Abraham wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was to be a blessing to others. It was for all nations. And through Jesus Christ and what he has done and the freedom that he has brought us is that we can be a light to all people. In the New Testament, it's interesting. It says Peter tells the people, he says, you are a kingdom of priests. Does that sound familiar? In the New Testament. Wait, I thought that was for the Israelites. I thought that was for back then. No, God is still looking for a people who will show the world what he is like. And he's not just looking to a nation with with an earthly king or a president in the White House or who has military and armies. That people is the church. That people is the living, breathing body of Jesus Christ. Wherever they are, whatever nation they are, behind whatever boundaries and borders they're in, wherever they are at work here or at school or in your neighborhoods, we are to be that people. And when we forget and we think it's about us, and it's just for us. We begin to protect what we have, and we forget that we are blessed to bless others. As the Scripture says, that is the time to be careful. And so as we follow the story of, of the Exodus, I want you to think about that, that picture, <laughs> that video. And <laughs> I always say, can you relate to that? You know, God frees us. He gives us new hope, and we run for a bit, and we end up back in the, back in the ditch. And when things are good, we forget, and we run away, and we do our own thing, but we need rescue, we need help, we need saving, and it's a reminder we need to continue to come back to God. The good shepherd who found the lost sheep, and he pulled it out of the ditch, and he pulled it out of the thicket, and he put it on his shoulders. Jesus is the good shepherd who restores, who brings us back, who reminds us what is this all about, what is this all for? Why is God being so good to us? And so today, let's be a people who doesn't think that we are entitled, that we deserve certain things. That doesn't just think, you know, like, I'm just going to be complacent. It's easy to get complacent, but are we still hungry? Can we say, God, I'm content and I'm blessed, but I want to hunger after you. I want more of you, and I want us to do, I want to serve you with what I have. I want to be a blessing to bless others. Thank you for what you've given me. Let this be both a warning, but also an encouragement to us and a reminder to say, let's not be those people. Let's be a people who shows the world what He is like to be a kingdom of priests, whether that's at your workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in the schools, wherever you may be. What do people see when they look at us? You're a priest. Say, I'm a priest. <laughs> I don't even like saying that. It feels weird to me. I'm not a priest, but I'm a priest. We're priests. We're here to show the world what God is like. What is the world seeing when they look at you? When they look at how you live, who you worship, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, what are your priorities in life? Are they seeing God or are they seeing you like any other person who doesn't know God? It's so easy in this nation to get wrapped up on the thing in the things all around us in wealth and accumulation and stuff and success that we can forget our way this reminder says god is still faithful he deserves to be worshiped and he is the one who continues to make a way for us let's pray heavenly father thank you for this story that we see ourselves in and if we're honest god it's it's a struggle and a challenge as we walk this life of faith we have times where we're just trapped in the ditch like that poor sheep And there really is no other way out than to be rescued, to be pulled out. Father, you're the one who comes and who rescues. Father, we thank you for freedom, for life, the ability to run free and to pursue you. And when we do that with our whole heart, there's nothing better. But Father, maybe some of us have ended up back in a ditch. We've ended up in a place where we've forgotten you or we've gotten too comfortable, too complacent. God, I pray for a fresh wind of your spirit to fill us, to renew us, to make us hungry for more of you, to think fresh and to say, God, how can we grow and to take take on a new challenge, to enter a new promise, to not be afraid, but God, to to take hold of what you've given us. Help us to dream fresh dreams for the future, for our families, for this church, for the community, for our lives. And not just to settle down and say, this is it, but God, what do you have next for us? Where are you taking us to? Where are you... Where are you leading me, God? And to really say, God, with open hands, God, continue, God, to just provide for me. Thank you for all you've blessed me with, and God, may my life be a blessing to others. Help me to shine your light out to the world around. May we be a kingdom of priests that shows the world, God, your goodness and your love. Thank you for being our God. God, thank you for being the one who goes ahead of us, who, who clears out the, the obstacles in our way who walks us through challenging times, and who leads us to overcome the difficulties in our life. We love you, God, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.